So there's nothing like a, a horror podcast that takes a three-week hiatus in the middle of October. So much fun. We had planned. That was our plan. <laughs> that was always our plan. And, and what could have been, you know, or what should have been like our month. Yeah, we wanted you e- eagerly awaiting the Halloween release of our podcast. Uh, yeah, we had some technical difficulties. Mixer blew up. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then they don't ship it to the right place or something. Well, it's just everything was backordered. Yeah. Because of the Rona. Because of the Rona. And so 2020 continues to make us uh, adapt to its own will. It's, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I got really excited about October in the last episode. I didn't get to actually mention it, but October is absolutely my favorite month and we've had a gloomy one here where we are yeah the other day i asked alexa you know how the weather was going to be and in the description it was uh gloomy awesome i love it it was perfect but i mean for people's mental health it probably wasn't but for us horror nerds it felt like a lovecraft novel I mean, I, I appreciate the visuals of it, but yeah, I miss the sun. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna wind up before the winter's over in like a tanning bed with no, without the goggles, just staring right at that light. Vampire hiss. <laughs> the sun. <laughs> yeah. So, for our special Halloween episode, we're gonna cover a John Carpenter film, but it's not Halloween. Well, no, we couldn't do Halloween. That would be too easy. That's, That's just too easy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe next year. <laughs> Instead, we have a we have. Okay, I know Halloween's a classic in a way that this movie is not a classic, but this movie is probably still my favorite John Carpenter film. And really? Yes. Prince of Darkness. Wow. I didn't know that was your favorite. I think it might be. I mean, I go back and forth between it and, I don't know, it's kind of a triple tie between Prince of Darkness, this one that we're talking about today, mm. of course, the original Halloween, again, classic. Oh, yeah. But Big Trouble in Little China, <gasps> as ridiculous as it is, will always have a special place in my Kurt heart. Russell and a couple of actors that are in this film are, yeah. are in big trouble, which Carpenter's is awesome. one of those directors, you know, I like that he tends to reuse mm. a lot of the same people throughout, throughout yeah. a lot of films. Yeah, he actually wrote some of the roles for some of the characters uh, in this film, specifically for that actor because he had worked with them before, which is really cool. That shows like loyalty and like, hey, I've got this idea for you. You know, I like to imagine they probably worked on it together. Who knows? But... It comes, it leads for an interesting performance when you know it was written for the actor. And also, there's someone in this film that's not actually an actor, but is really well known. And this film came out in 87 and was very well known at at that point. Mr. Alice Cooper is in this film. He was not actually cast, though. Right. Saved him a lot of money on makeup and wardrobe because he just, that's just how he looks. Seriously, they took his, they gave him like, you know, Goodwill clothing. <laughs> well, he's playing a deranged and possibly mm-hmm. possessed. Are the homeless people in this possessed? We can get into that. But They're like in a cult. They're like, I feel like they might be because... They're under the influence of the giant canister mm-hmm. of Satan. But that's the villain in this movie, yeah. by the way. It's a big It's a big canister of Satan. I hate <laughs> it when you stumble across those. So you think like getting rid of the oil when you change the oil in your car is difficult. Imagine trying to get rid of a big can of Satan. And for those who have not seen this film, yes, conjuring up an image of a can of Satan is probably not that terrifying, but we'll try to describe it. It's like a... Imagine like a lava lamp that's like a an even cylinder up and, and down. It's like, like 10 it, feet like it, high, Yeah, too. and it doesn't taper off the way that a lava lamp does. And then instead of the nice jellyfish-like bubbles, you've got swirling green mm-hmm. Satan. And it's in this like... Kool-Aid. 
old, old, rusty canister in a church. And this is, okay, so here's my first issue with the film. It takes place in Los Angeles. And I know that's like probably easier for the studio and John Carpenter, but I just have a, I have a hard time believing that the, the fate of the world rests in a church in Los Angeles, but they try to describe it. Well, maybe, you know, they were probably thinking that like, if we do actually lose custody of the can of Satan in what city would people be least likely to notice? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) It could have been that simple. (laughs) It could have been. Yeah. No, the... So, and and like, this is it too. It says that they carbon dated the corrosion on the lid of the cylinder at about 7 million years. So they're saying that the, the canister of Satan is actually like 7 million years old, but you can't carbon date that far back. So that's a mistake, whatever suspension of disbelief, but Wait, are you saying that this isn't scientifically accurate? That is correct. This is pseudoscience. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about this is the weird mix of theoretical physics, a sort of Christian mythology in a very loose, wonky way. I don't, of course. And uh, yeah, but, the, you know, he, he sort of tries to bridge that gap between the deep weirdness of theoretical physics, what happens when we study how reality behaves on a subatomic level and how it's completely counterintuitive to the way that we sort of naturally see the world. Well, no shit, Jonathan, that's what counterintuitive means. And then, yeah, and so, you know, reconciling that with some of the darker ideas in in sort of Christian history and mythology. But I love that mix. I mean, that, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's the, the, the setup is that for the longest time, the Catholic Church has this secret sect of priests who have been guarding the giant canister of Satan. They know it's horrible. They don't know exactly how horrible, but they know it's horrible. And they've, they also have a sort of secret history written down of it. Yeah. And so they're guarding this book and they're guarding the, the giant Cano Satan for centuries and centuries. And what has happened is that in, as the movie begins, all of the people who have been, the priest who's been guarding the canister of Satan has died yeah. right before he had request, right after he'd requested a meeting with the Pope to discuss, to tell him basically that he had sensed that, you know, the Cano Satan was no longer inert and yeah. was waking up. In slumber. Yes. yes. And so the Catholic Church, the priest who takes over, reaches out to a scientist played by, what's his name, James Wong? Oh, no, it's... uh, Victor Wong, excuse me. Victor Wong, who, if you've seen Big Trouble in Little China, was uh, famously uh, Egg Shan in that movie. Awesome. He's also the, like, Mr. Miyagi character in Three Ninjas, which I don't know. If you were, like, young in the 90s like I was, you probably watched the crap out of that, so... That's who I recognized him from. I was like, oh, that's my Mr. Miyagi, even though he's not Mr. Miyagi. And so from there, the the scientist character sort of recruits, whether they want to or not, his best graduate students to all come to this church and spend a weekend basically trying to prove scientifically through experiments and measurements that what is actually happening inside the mm-hmm. Cano Satan. Yeah, he says, and this is a quote from the film, a life form is growing out of prebiotic fluids. <laughs> It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. So the longer it's in there, and I guess, is it, does it have anything to do with the, the cult of homeless people? Like, does that bring it? I No, I think it's just, as it's waking up, it's reaching out. And so, you know, it's either, it's obviously able to control bugs and insects and mm-hmm. such. Yes. And then yeah. there's this, as the folks who, the scientists who locked themselves inside the church to study this thing for like a long weekend. Talk about a horrible weekend. I know. Slumber party. So what are you doing this weekend? Oh, yeah. can of Satan. We're having but a lock-in. At the church. There's going to be no dancing though. <laughs> and then, 
shit was I going to say? But the homeless people, yeah, appear to be like under its influence too. Mm -hmm. Like they're sort of, I don't know if they're sort of half possessed, but their will is not their own. I think it has everything to do with proximity to the canister too. It has like nothing to do with your mindset or who you believe in or what you believe in or whatever. Well, it's like it's mom always proximity. said, you know, you, you hang around a can of Satan. Mm-hmm. Bad things it's all about happen. who you, it's all about who you hang out with and associate with. Your yeah. pressure. Yeah. There's. So the interesting thing about Alice Cooper, if we want to go back to that, I'm not like a huge fan of his music. I know like some of the songs from movies, but I never like sat down and listened to his discography or anything, but he just showed up on set because they were doing a special effect that he does during one of his live shows. And so he wanted to be there to oversee it or supervise or whatever. And Carpenter was like, Hey, Let's get you a role. You're perfect. <laughs> yeah. So want to be the, the head of the possessed homeless people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who could say no to that role? Right. He's actually, I mean, I know there's not a lot for him to do. He doesn't have any lines, but he mm-hmm. is creepy as hell yeah. in every scene that he's in. And he's on the like cover of the, he's on the like poster for the, or at least like the 20th anniversary DVD cover or something. It's Alice Cooper's face. So, I mean, yeah, he does. It is spooky, and he does not have a line in the film. Like, you don't ever hear him talk, right? Like, no. So I don't strange, think yeah. only one of the homeless people ever speaks. So it's that lady at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What so she wonderful say? what yep. you're doing, opening the church after all these <laughs> <God>. years. <laughs> and she's got a couple bugs. Yeah. She, like, wants to kiss the priest's hand, and mm-hmm. he looks down, and she's got this little paper cup, like a coffee cup, mm-hmm. but it's full of, you know, worms. And I, that doesn't do. make like any kind of like sense. It's just to me kind of like a visual thing, you know, like when someone sees a mass of insects, it's repulsive. And so maybe that was the, the trick there. Well, well I know with the ants, I, you is. know, I think it's like a play on it's a harbinger. Mm-hmm, right. That's the point at which everybody should have gone the fuck home. Yeah, that's the point. That's why that's the sort of well you were warned yeah. moment, right? Like it is cabin yes. in the woods mm-hmm. plays on that. Mm-hmm. You know, when yeah, the, they the do. kids are going out to the cabin, they stop for gas, and mm-hmm. the guy's like, "Ah, yeah. spooky as hell." You always get warned. Yeah, you yeah. got to have it's the warning, trope. otherwise yeah. it's not fair when you <clears throat> suffer. It's true. But also, with last thing on Alice Cooper is the special effect was the, or no, they did another special effect. Alice Cooper used the bike imp- implement trick. <laughs> In his stage shows prior to the movie, and the bike that he uses is... When he stabs the guy? Yeah, and the bike that he uses is his own personal prop. So I guess... He brought the murder bicycle yeah, to the set. Yeah, because that's the one that he uses on set, or when he plays it. I, I don't know, does he do that on... Did he stab people with a I, I bicycle know. I, on stage? You know, set, again, I've, I, I'm only familiar with his music really through movies, mm-hmm. and like when, they're, when radio used to be a thing. Yeah, poor radio. But uh, that is a dramatic scene that, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have thought you could be murdered with a bicycle. But it does, I'm glad it does confirm my bias against bicycles and bicycle riders. Our friend Kevin, <laughs> don't just cut it off right now. He's going to throw, yeah, people I won't be allowed back in my favorite coffee shop. I take uh, all of that back. Bicycles are wonderful. The people who ride them are wonderful. The movie was just shot in over 30 days, too, which is really cool. I love that. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have many, like, locations. You know, well, there's no, really only yeah. one location. You've got the college campus. The, yeah, and then the church, which was apparent, like, a, in the movie. Well, again, you don't want to put, I mean, I feel like, you you know, you need the sort of legitimacy of an old church to store your can of Satan. Because you don't want to go mm-hmm. putting your can of Satan in, like, one of those very recent big box Protestant churches. Because no, they got six no flags, juju. Six Flags Over Jesus? No. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to do that. Yeah, don't want to do that. Yeah, so the part's played by Donald Pleasance, which is the priest. 
Victor Wong, which is the scientist, and Dennis Dunn, which is the the other Asian scientist. By the way, both of those guys are in big trouble. Yes, they are. And those parts were specifically, yeah, were written for them by John Carpenter. Another person, a face that you may notice if you grew up around the same time I did and you ever watched Simon and Simon, one of the Simon brothers, the guy who plays AJ. Mm-hmm. AJ Simon is in this as the, I guess he's the lead protagonist. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. I would if say there that. is, I mean, it's a very ensemble sort of piece. Yeah. Carpenter does that a lot and he's great mm-hmm. at it. Yeah. But it's such an ensemble piece. It's mm-hmm. If there is a, a lead, I guess it has to be him. And, oh man, there's another trivia thing. Hold on, hold on. Also some excellent mullets in this movie. Oh my God. One of the first things, the first thing you notice in the film is the damn mullet of the guy walking across <laughs> Across campus. the campus. This is one of the establishing then, shots. Yeah. And then coming like towards, so the, the guy with the mullet turns his back and walks away and then coming towards you is this glorious mustache <laughs> that is so 80s like on one on the 80s. simon brother and there's jean jackets and there's windbreakers and there's big hair and it's very 1987 god i miss it man i was born that year so i don't really recall it i was born in 78 <laughs> so mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the late 80s are my early memories yeah for me yeah for me it's totally the 90s which is i guess why three ninjas came up for me but Let's see. The guy with the mullet, he's, wait, the guy who turns into Bugs, who's just like consumed by Bugs. You remember yes, he's the one? Yeah, there? I, that's I a really a cool message scene. for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's a really oh, I love that. neat I love it. scene. And it's gross because it's out in the parking lot and they're viewing it from like the third story of the church or whatever. And it's, yeah, it's right when shit has really started to get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Like it's gone from, okay, this is spooky and we're studying it to... We might not, uh, any of us might not get out of here. None of us might get out yeah. It's But anyway, he deserved to turn into bugs because of that mullet. That mullet was terrible. And he's kind of a douchebag in the film, too, if yes. I remember correctly. He's one of those characters that, this happens in horror a lot, and I love this trope, where he's they established the, that this yeah, person he's is the, a uh, It's just a flu yeah. guy. I'm sorry, is that too topical? It's no, just a flu. No. Yeah, it's just the flu, yeah. He's that guy. And I love that, like I said, like I was saying, I love that horror movies make an asshole, so you can just watch them die. Yeah, I, lo- that, I love that because yeah, you don't have to feel sorry for them. No, and not at all. You don't. When it's like in a World War II movie when somebody's mowing down Nazis. Yeah, no, you just don't. <sighs> love a good World War II movie. Oh well, yeah. Anyway, moving on. I had something here. Sorry. Well, I was talking about the you know the joining of uh, sort of religious mythology and theoretical physics. Oh, um, yeah. And I love what mm-hmm. they do with theoretical physics here and the idea of like matter and antimatter, God mm-hmm. and anti God, rather than. Yeah, it's not because, exactly the devil. Yeah, and he's know, not they the sort of speculate. An, and he's not the Antichrist. Like, it, and so. It's like a piece of. It's a, some dark supernatural force. Well, like, maybe not supernatural, but mm-hmm. some sort of dark age old force basically put some universe, of itself yeah, yeah into yeah. this canister. And then it came to be called Satan. Yeah, I love that it's not actually religious. You know, like, like it, yes, it takes place in a church. Yes, there's priests and there's crosses and stuff. But the entity within the canister is not actually a what we would think of as a biblical character. Right. That's like, one of the things they discover mm-hmm. is they're, one of the scientists is a translator. I'm sorry, not a scientist at all, but one of the team is a translator of mm-hmm. ancient languages. And uh, she's brought in to, to fully translate this ancient book yeah. that is, you know... Contains all the wisdom that the church has about the canister. And it turns out that, yeah, a lot of that, it's like, straight up calls it an extraterrestrial, right? Yeah. uh, They have no idea where it came from, you know? And so, 
Yeah, I came into this film thinking Prince of Darkness, okay, biblically that's Satan. So this is Satan. And then I like that they established later on that, uh, well, mm, that's up for interpretation. But it's a great, it's it's a really rich vein, I think, to strike for the story because the only thing the average American knows about theoretical physics is that it's strange and hard for hard to understand. Yeah, well, well <laughs> as we were discussing it over the, the three weeks that we've been out, I kept using the word pseudo-physics. <laughs> yeah, no, it very much is because, you know, who the hell knows? I'm sure a physicist would watch this movie and just roll his eyes. Oh, yeah. Or her eyes. I um, would hope so. I would hope John Carpenter <laughs> didn't do that much research. Like, oh, I went and got this degree in, in physics and primordial ooze, <laughs> you know? But, but it's perfect because you can just run with it. Yeah, you know? it works. You know, he gets like, a, he get, I think he gets, you know, just a few of the, you know, they talk about Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. You know, oh, I lo- mm-hmm. is it alive or dead? It's neither. Yeah. It's in what did they call it? A suppositional wave yeah. state or something. And you're like, wait, let me look this up, and then it's like, oh, that's not actually. It's not actually. The example of Schrodinger's cat is, of course. Yeah. And but they all they need to do is like throw a couple of things that are nearly right down mm-hmm. to establish just how spooky the world is when you yeah. look at it on a subatomic level, mm-hmm. and from then on they just make shit up. Just suspension of disbelief. I one of the like. One of my pet peeves is when people can't get over the fact that there's no way that could happen. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, well, come on, man. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, but it's a if, film. But like, if that's your hang up, it's like, I'm sorry, your yeah. parents didn't buy you enough toys when you were a kid. Yeah. Or maybe they bought you too many. Yeah. Or you weren't allowed to see Should have tried Potter to or use Star that imagination or, a little bit. Or Lord, yeah. But it, yeah, it's, it's, the pace of this film is actually really intriguing too because it starts right off with his. Awesome score. Yes, another and, another terrific John Carpenter yes, score. Um, which I think you can listen to on both Apple Music and Spotify at the moment. Yeah, you guys should look that up. Uh, it's th- At least the opening is awesome. And the way he does the credits and everything really sets up, oh shit, something really gloomy is happening here. And uh, I mean, I'm sure people knew that because it's John Carpenter's, but... It's it, the way they establish it is really good. You get from the start. Oh, yeah, the something bad's already about to happen from the get go of the film, and it starts off with like the funeral of the priest that died, who was guarding the canister. It's not a funeral. He's laying there. Yeah, with his little yeah. key box on his chest. Yeah, and they take the key out. And what's the key, Jonathan? The key unlocks right the basement where they're keeping the canister. Yeah. Is that right? I think. I that's think right. so. I think that's right too. And it looks like the basement used to be where the congregation used like that's where the service used to be held because it's got an altar and and all that like that's where the canister is is on an altar Uh, maybe they were trying to get some positive juju to help keep it who knows or that was originally the cult built or something i don't know they don't really go into that but i can like i know churches who have like that have like literally built another church on top of their old church so maybe that's the case also great another great trope is a recurring dreams yeah. in this movie because anybody who's a, you discover very quickly that anyone who's around the can of Satan mm-hmm. for any amount of time mm-hmm. starts to have the same dream. It, it's a voice that sounds like it's coming to you over very staticky radio mm-hmm. saying, This is not a dream. But it okay, so I, I read this. So they shot it. They shot the dream stuff. They put it on to a cassette. And then put it in a VCR and put it on TV and then filmed 
it through oh, the that's TV. How they filmed that's it. how they got the static and the super the, grainy the voice yeah, and everything. Yeah. Very lo-fi. Yeah, it's really cool. That's that's I mean, you think of it and you're like, well, yeah, that's obvious, but I've I've never really heard of that trick being used. It was really effective. I like it. And the dream sequence is very short because obviously mm-hmm. we're getting the perspective of the people who are sort of in the the church studying this yeah. thing. And so they're just having like a little bit of it and it's just the shot, it's a, it's the outside of the church. Mm-hmm. You you just start to see this dark figure starting to come out of it. And then you yep. hear a voice saying, this is not a dream. Mm-hmm. And the priest later tells them that, you know, the more time you spend around this thing, the longer the dream gets. Yeah, it's like... And it's you almost, start to have it every night. It's like someone's telling you... And it's always the same, mm-hmm. the exact same. Yeah, the canister's trying to speak to you. And even that, they insert some wonky science into to explain oh, rather yeah. than something super, supernatural. Oh, yeah, I, I love this part. <laughs> the idea is that... Future scientists are sending this message back in time, which they just explained by the magic word tachyons. Yeah. If you watch Star Trek, you know, they show up magically in Star Trek sometimes Mm -hmm. too, because they travel faster than light. And theoretically... They're sending tachyons to people in the past, to their heads, so they have a dream about it. Yeah, to tell them what's about to happen to the can of Satan. But that supposes... Mm -hmm. It's a little weird. That supposes that uh, Satan comes out of the can... Mm-hmm. fully formed mm-hmm. ready to do whatever he wants to the world mm-hmm. and yet in the future there are still they still have technology they still have to, there are still somewhere there are mm-hmm. scientists and technology continues to advance I caught that too I was like well, well, well it can't be that bad is it that bad guys, maybe, yeah, they just yeah. ran, like, maybe he steps out of the church he wanders onto an LA mm-hmm. freeway and just smack yeah or they're they're all slaves to his will and this is a rebellion that's sending out these messages. Very Star Wars, very, very oh, you know, Palpatine-ish. Of course I went that way. Talking about the dream. So apparently the idea for this whole project came from Deborah Hill describing a dream that she had of a vague, dark figure exiting a church, which filled her with dread. And uh, Carpenter developed the story around this idea in hopes of recreating the fear that she really felt. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. He worked with her in a lot of films, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, she worked on The Fog. Mm-hmm. She worked on Halloween. Yeah. Again, like a lot of Carpenter films, he mentions that the film died a swift death in theaters, but found life, like many of his films, on video. You know, the death of theaters is something that's very contemporary, it's hap- right? Yeah, it's and, happening right now, kind of. Well, well I don't, I don't want to say it's gonna, it's gonna actually be the death, but yeah, there hasn't been a new film released in theaters in quite some time. Yeah, sure, because of the Rona. So I, mm-hmm. I wonder, like, do you think they're gonna come back? Do you think if six months from now everybody's vaccinated and this is just a bad memory that theaters are I just like they were before? I'm hopeful. I do think they will come back. That, that literally is the one thing I miss the most from this whole nine months of hell of, of Rona and 2020 and the election and everything. I miss going to the movies and I miss smelling the popcorn and I miss eating the popcorn. And I I would go by myself sometimes. I miss that. Like Going to, to the movies by yourself is magical. It's so much fun because you don't have the strain of, oh my God, is my friend or my partner going to enjoy this film? And you're thinking about that while you're watching it. It... It totally takes that away, and you find that you enjoy the film. Anyway, I'm going off. But I don't know. I want to say that it's going to come back. And if it does, 2021 is going to be one hell of a year for films. Because you know, they I basically put that, everything that's back. That's a great point. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. They've just been sitting on everything. Yeah, everything and was so there's a huge back. backlog mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And I got mixed feelings about it. I really... On the one hand, I really like going to the theater, particularly on off times, like matinees in the middle of the yeah, week, if you can get away, like you get a day off or something. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I hate going to the theater when they're when it's more than thirty percent full. Oh, see, because I don't know what is. I don't mm-hmm. know who doesn't tell their kids when they're growing up. Mm-hmm. Don't talk in the movie theater. I know. Don't you know? Put your phone away. It's mm-hmm. just. It's like when I saw a quiet place. People can't be quiet, <laughs> and the majority of that movie is silence. Like it really is. Yeah. So. And and then there you have this thing that I experienced when I saw us in theaters, where when a defense mechanism for preteens and teenagers is to laugh when they experience fear or awkwardness. And sure. So there were lots of laughs in us, which is not funny. Some of it is, but you know, there's I mean nervous laughs, which I guess are they're pretty excusable. I mean, some people just can't handle hold the tension. I get it. <laughs> But what I can't stand is when you suddenly discover that apparently 60% of the population is made up of frustrated stand-up comedians. Yeah, who want to just... just been waiting for a captive audience. Who just want to say their opinions Like, take your the mystery film. science yeah. theater ass and go back home and Mis- watch Netflix. I mean, okay, so here we go. There are no more videotapes. No. There are no... There's barely any DVDs left. We're in the streaming. Uh, I mean, you can still part of you can order any DVDs and Blu-rays are still. I get. I've got. I mean, I've bought a few Blu-rays in my life, but not a lot. So expensive. You can stream everything now, pretty much. And 2020 has ensured that as well with everyone staying at home. It's so it's different. It like you used to make an event out of going to watch a movie. Yeah. Or even going to the video store. You know. Dad would take us to the video store every Saturday, and oh my God, we would be so excited. And all the posters of movies we weren't allowed to watch were in there, and you know, and all this. And you don't get that. Like, you just, you know, scroll. And sometimes I know I'm not the only person out there. You scroll forever, you scroll through your entire viewing and time, and you never find like you fall asleep yeah. scrolling. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. And you're exactly, and you're like, ah, I don't feel like that. I'm sure the it, Germans have a word for that. I'm sure they do. Is it because there's so much content that you're that you can't pick one? I think choice paralysis or, is a real thing. Yeah, there's you know there's the, that's how I feel. There's a great book, The Paradox of Choice, that I read years ago. I can't remember who wrote it, but his argument was basically yes yeah, that you know if you ask people is it better to have more or fewer choices in any mm-hmm. context, we will almost always say, well, I'd rather have more choices. Yeah, but choices make us miserable. Yeah. Oh, that's a okay. So I, yeah, I would. Hmm. There are parts of me that the like part of my brain that's like, yes, I like things simple and easy gets really happy about you only can pick two choices. You better pick one. You know, you only have two choices. You better pick one. I'm like, oh, cool. That's easy. Boom. But I know lots of people need multiple choices and they need to think about each and every choice before they can decide and that's where that decision paralysis happens. Yeah, and I think especially, I think it's even worse at night because you're tired. Yeah. It's like, and, and, and this is something that book actually talked about. You have so much energy mm-hmm. to make actual choices in any given day. Yeah. And when it's, when it runs out, mm-hmm. it's out. Yeah. And you're, you know, in any, and trying to make a choice at that point is just an exercise in futility. Mm-hmm. Your brain can, your brain's like, I'm not, it, it's got to work to make the but, choice. But, but that's the thing about, you know, the thing about the theater and the thing about the old video stores is like, well, old video stores first, you know, you couldn't sit there and browse for four hours. I mean, eventually somebody's going to come over. The grumpy like, clerk's going to get your ass. The very Trust grumpy me. clerk. We like, have you know, that Pick happen. a movie yeah. or, or get out. Yeah. And on a similar vein, at the theater, 
what's so great about that is you can't pick up your phone. Or you're not supposed to. Obviously, mm-hmm. people do. But if you're a civilized human being, mm-hmm. as I try to be, yes, you put your phone on silent or yeah. turn it off. Yeah. You put it in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And the point is, it's like, I've just spent 15 bucks to sit mm-hmm. here for an hour and a half. And escape. Yeah, and escape. And yeah. like, and so I, I don't have an excuse not to immerse myself. Mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, I'm terrible even when I'm watching a movie mm-hmm. I like at home when I have picked something that I actually want to watch. And on the rare event when I'm not being interrupted. Yeah. Like, how long do you go typically without just checking your phone? Just checking. I know. I've found that, like... Or, my, oh, I want to look something up because, mm-hmm. you know, this thing in the movie just occurred to me. It's like, my, look it up later. My girlfriend and I will be watching something. And 20 minutes into the film, we're both on our phones. You know, like, it's... It's just, yeah... I don't know it's, if it's our attention spans have just gotten shot or or what, but I'm telling you, if we reset the clock to the late '80s, we lose nothing. We yeah. lose the internet, of course. Yeah. But and and I would really miss podcasts. Yeah. I, yeah. I Obviously, say, yeah. I, I really like podcasts. I spend a majority of my free time listening to podcasts. And I, I would miss YouTube in a lot of ways. Yeah, YouTube's. So there, of course, there are great things about the just, internet, and you know, and. Yeah, I've learned a lot from you. Could we turn yeah. everything off except YouTube and yeah. podcasts? I, I say this as, would a, allow as a us web developer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If it, you, I, I'm going to have you, to get into another line. Of, I'll go back to being a poet. You, we, you make your money and you could do that the, internet, the internet, and you're like, shut it down. I'll take one for the team. Question: Would Carpenter's films go straight to streaming if they were released around this time period? I think we have to say yes because, because of what he just said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean because other like where because otherwise I think there would have been a lot more really good Carpenter films re- released over the last fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, I know he's gotten older. Maybe he's lost some interest in making movies. Well, but... he's doing music now. He's doing, <laughs> yeah, he did the score for the newest Halloween, which was awesome. And then he's got like a new what, what's it called? Lost Themes Part Three. It comes out like today or tomorrow or something. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's obviously there are parts one and two as well, but mm-hmm. it's just like. It's all instrumental music, very much in the vein of the stuff that he, like the stuff that he would compose for his own movies. Yeah. Very synth heavy. And I believe his son is a musician as well. Maybe sons. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And I know, I think it, I believe at least one of them. I don't think I even knew he had kids. Records those with him. Oh, wow. That's Which is super cool. That's cool. John Carpenter to be my dad. Right? I don't know. His son's probably going to die from secondhand, thirdhand smoke. (laughs) Look, man, I, I also grew up with a smoker and I remember, you know, Coming to in the car in the in oh my god the, yeah the ugliest station wagon you've ever seen awesome on one of these wretched summer vacations mm-hmm. and where did our parents take us in the summer to Oklahoma like Jesus they wouldn't even take you to Branson well, they, they took you to apparently Oklahoma? they couldn't find directions to hell so we went from Arkansas to Oklahoma no look I know it's fine you live in Oklahoma I'm not insulting you you and your family are you're all good and I'm sure you live in the so one Oklahoma good part of the state great you gotta go on a vacation from Arkansas I don't know. Mm. Tahiti sounds nice. I remember dad, my, my dad took us, we, we used to go to Dallas all the time because that's where my grandmother lived. And dad, one time dad took us through Oklahoma just because we'd never been to Oklahoma. And I like specifically remember being like, this is it? <laughs> where are the trees? <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I think Carpenter would have an audience with, with streaming because they are like, these films are catered to a specific type of person. And those type of people, <clears throat> me and you, have streaming services. I, I, I actually, and this is going to be a plug, but I actually subscribe to Shutter. Yeah, yeah, I do. Which is well. a horror. Which is I a horror between Shutter and Blue Moon. Oh, I've never gotten Blue Moon. I've Blue Moon is it's like Shutter, but with um, they make sure that all of the scary movies are also at least like 
30% nudity. Oh, God. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. That's tasteless, Jonathan. <laughs> As here, am I. here we go battling As am for I. our taste in horror. So you can't be a horror. Most horror movies need a degree of nudity. Oh, one thing Just I a want, little. One thing I wanted to talk about this film, too. The, like, does she, to get, okay, so. <laughs> The the canister gets to a point where it's really affecting people. And does she rip her face off? Which one? The bloody... The father. No, she doesn't rip her face off. It's that, you know, the, she's lying there. Oh, she has the... the yeah, remember, it's like emptying spit. itself yeah, yeah. Oh, into God, her. It's so gross. All that liquid. So, it's very squishy. Yeah, so someone gets the some ooze on them, and then... They like spit it at other people once yeah, you well, have the ooze. It, it starts one of the one of the scientists is alone in the basement with the can of Satan. And by the way, who's going in that room by themselves? The priest does, but he has a cross with him. Okay, maybe uh, the know? priest gets away with it. You know, but even in exorcisms, you're supposed to have two yeah. priests. Oh, yeah, that's it, true. It's the we buddy, learned that it's the buddy system. Yeah, that's very true. It's just like you know taking a walk with one of your little friends mm-hmm. when you're like eight. You got to you got to have the buddy system. The buddy system, yes. But no, the, the one of the lady scientists is down there. Doing whatever with all the equipment they've got pointed at the the can of Satan, mm-hmm. and then it it shoots like a stream of yeah. liquid. Oh God, it's gross! Right in your mouth. Yeah, it's so gross. Because of course, in addition to standing next to the can of Satan, she's standing next to the can of Satan with her mouth open. Yeah, like I don't know if she was congested. I don't remember what it was. I think she was like gaping at it uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there it goes. Or she got like slowly hypnotized by it. You know, it would have. You know, it would have shut this whole movie, the, the whole can of Satan down. What masks? That's right. Not only do masks protect against the Rona, mm-hmm. but they will prevent the can of Satan, can of Satan, from putting Satan juice in your mouth. That's true. Man, we didn't think about that. Public safety <laughs> tip. Yeah, we didn't think about that. Uh, but that—that's how it starts to spread. Similarity. And then once someone, and then she is taken over, infected, however you want to put it, mm-hmm. and then she begins going around one to one. Yes, and, and spraying into other people's mouths. Yes, it's so. Ugh. Also, real quick, this is the second film in Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. So, the first being The Thing, the second being Prince of Darkness, and the third being Mouth of Madness. So, we'll have to cover Mouth of I never of realized those soon. were a trilogy until you told me. Yeah, but, the, I mean, so this one was made in 87, so five years after, and I think Mouth of Madness was 92. I don't know. It's It's in the 90s. Okay. But they, but yeah, he waited like, I mean, he did a couple of films between this one and Mouth of Madness, so. And I think this one was his first independently budgeted film since Big Trouble. I'm going to look that up real so quick. So not financed by a studio. Yes. I'm still upset that this bombed in the theaters. I know it's been a while, but like, people have no taste, Levi. <laughs> obviously. Oh. I'm obviously qualified to, to say that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you are qualified, Jonathan. John Carpenter's first film that he made independently since Escape from New York in 1981. Not only because of the box office failure of the previous film, Big Trouble in Little China, but also his frustrations with working with the studios. That one failed as well? Big Trouble in Little China? Oh my God. I know. There's no hope. There's no hope for mankind. I don't know how he kept working if all of his films died terrible box office deaths. It's interesting, but... Well, have you seen Vampires? I mean... Yeah. Sometimes you got to cash a check. I know. That's very true. Another great trope in this one, mirrors. 
This really, yeah. this, this just layers the tropes, I think, in a very mm-hmm. cohesive way. He, it pulls it off. Yeah, and they use, I saw that they used Mercury to do the little trick in the mirror. Oh, where it turns liquid? Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. They actually used Mercury. Mercury's incredibly dangerous, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't going to pay for the <laughs> fucking special I mean, effects. Alice Cooper was their stunt director, obviously. I their know. special effects coordinator. Like, so yeah, let's kill some people like in the process. Biting the heads off of bats. Was that him or Ozzy Osbourne? That was Ozzy. That was Ozzy. Yeah, yeah, that was Ozzy. But the mirrors come up, and they try to tie it into the science a little bit in terms of, like, God, anti-God, you know, matter, anti-matter. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of evil or what we call evil being a sort of mirror image, a sort of anti-particle to what we know as reality. So when they go through the mirror... So that we should set she, this up because yeah. the... So the, you learn that the final purpose of the Cano Satan is basically to transform one person into... The Prince of Darkness. The, well, no, the, the one person that they transform is supposed to pull the Prince of Darkness over. Yeah, that's right? what it is. And that's her, that's the father. Yeah, so it, it turns, you know, as more and more people get, you know, infected by the Cano Satan juice, Satan juice title. And yes. um, <laughs> I was going to say, either Cano Satan or Satan juice. Definitely let's not right. do the juice because we already, the moist thing and then. Oh, know. we're going to chastise people for no. not watching the Chud episode, but we're going to do that at the end. Don't let me forget. Okay, we'll, we'll chastise. But the, the, the final point is that as more and more people get a taste of the Satan juice, and become not zombies, but under the influence of this thing, it picks one person in particular to just really transform, and that's the the blonde lady. I can't remember her name in the movie. I can't is it either. Susan? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. It Damn is. it, Susan! Nice. You can tell how many times I've yeah. seen this movie. But it basically empties like the whole canister into her. Yeah. Right over mm-hmm. a period of time. Yeah. When she goes to take a nap, mm-hmm. naps are bad. I disagree. And and then she, and so she is. I don't know, imbued with enough power to try and bring over who she and her new state calls her father, which I guess is the original entity that, you know, sent this thing to Earth mm-hmm. eons and eons ago. Mm-hmm. And it's through the mirror. Yeah, it's like another and dimension. The, and that's where you're talking about yeah. that mercury. It's, this, yeah. it's a really good effect. Oh, no, it's awesome. Yeah. And you, I mean, people have seen this in other films. It, it is kind of a trope. I know, you again, know? but yeah. I, again, what, what I think is so impressive about this is the way it you know, it uses not just a couple, but like mm-hmm. multiple tropes. Yeah. Breathes some new life into them, mm-hmm. shuffles them around a bit, and it, it works. Yeah, it does. He wrote the screenplay. John Carpenter wrote the screenplay, but he credited himself as Martin Quartermass, which is a, a homage to the Quartermass experiment and the subsequent TV shows for that. I wonder, why not use his own name? I don't know. Just so it created the I mean, He already got the credit as a director, yeah. obviously. And uh, here's another trivia that I like, and I, I know you're gonna you're gonna like it too. John Carpenter claims to have been fascinated with religion ever since watching the old Hammer horror films and seeing what Holy Water did to vampires. Ah. <laughs> we love the Hammer films here at Well Adjusted, and we will cover those. Actually, I had planned on covering one for the month of October, but now that it's Halloween is tomorrow, we we're just gonna do this one, and then. Uh, we'll see what happens, but we'll get some in there before the end of the year. Absolutely. You, you know, you mentioned holy water. It, it's a kind of unholy water that causes all the problems in this movie, right? Yeah. It's the Satan juice. Yeah, and it, it just looks like saliva. It's so gross. Yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> viscous. Yeah, and, it's uh, gross. Drippy. So we don't ever get to see the Prince of Darkness. You, you see a hand. Yeah. 
which reminded me of, you know, that you've seen Legend with Tom Cruise? Yes. Of course you have. I don't yeah. know why I asked. Mm-hmm. Um, but Darkness? Yeah. It reminded me of his hands. It's very, it's yeah. very sort of animalistic. He's got yeah, some talons. I, la- I laughed when I saw it. It kind of reminds me of, and uh, this is a callback to a recent episode, it kind of reminds me of the thing from Another World. His hand gets caught in a door in that film, and that's kind of what the hand looks, looks like. like. Yeah. But yeah, it's... So, because of that, people think, oh, this, is, this film's ripe for a sequel, like, so that we can see the full prince of darkness but you could do it you could do a decent sequel out of this movie i'm just saying i want john carpenter to do it but i do yeah well if he's gonna reboot the thing he might as well reboot this is he rebooting the thing or just halloween no he's doing the thing there he's in in talks with bloomhouse or blumhouse or however you pronounce it don't don't reboot that. i know and we talked well we talked about this in the episode because it's perfect don't mess with it what the hell is happening and what are you why gonna... is there such a dearth of new ideas and what what are you gonna do that's better like think try to think about what are you gonna do that's better than the thing yeah it's like you should material. never marry john ham's ex-wife right because you're not I don't, I don't know that he has one but yeah. you're not john ham you're not ever like, going to be john you're Hamm. never yeah. going to do well in that comparison yeah same thing with michael fassbender true dad yeah so i don't think I I don't think it needs a sequel. You know, I don't... It ends well, as most Carpenter films. It ends with a great sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. And And that, you know, and that last scene where he's looking in the mirror and stretching his hand out after he's... Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. Again, you should never listen to our episodes if you haven't Mm -hmm. seen the movie. But at the very end, the the sort of minion lady is reaching into a, a mirror, which has now become liquid. It's yeah. like a huge floor ceiling liquid. She's reaching into some other dimension, mm-hmm. starting to pull out what we assume is the Prince of Darkness, yeah. the hand. Mm-hmm. And one of the other scientists, another lady, she sacrifices herself by just Jump. rushing, mm-hmm. just just bum-rushing the lady mm-hmm. and pushing them both into the mirror, like jumping into a swimming pool. Yeah. So that way they can't pull out. Yeah, they can't pull anything out. The and, Prince of Darkness. And then as the mirror is starting to return to normal, mm-hmm. the priest throws an axe at it and shatters it. Yeah. And, of course, trapping her in there forever. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you get that self-sacrificing. It is a happier ending for a horror film. I think it does a good job of threading that line because it's mm-hmm. not happy. I mean, yeah, somebody just sacrificed themselves. Like, like what you've just learned about reality is terrible. Yeah. Horrifying, mm-hmm. right? A good person. There's an anti-reality, basically. And, yeah. Yeah. A good person has been completely lost into like a horror you can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. The anti-reality. A yeah. lot of other people are dead because everybody who became like a minion of the Cano Satan, they don't recover, right? They're just dead. No, they're dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess it's not that happy of an ending. I just... <laughs> Levi's only, he would only be happy if the church burned to the ground and some children watched it happen. Well, I want to see the prince come out and then this like very dramatic opera music happen as fire backlights him and, and then credit scene. <laughs> That's what I want. But. Well, 2020 is not over. No. You might get to see the whole. Like, for real. This is not a dream, Levi. Oh, we didn't do Devil's Dictionary. Oh, that's true. We forgot our yeah, bit. Let's we do it. Well, we yeah, a, let's do it. We got another entry from Ambrose Bierce's The Devil's Dictionary, our used bookstore find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where is it? Okay, so we have, <clears throat> in this year, 2020, we have this thing called an election happening. I haven't heard. Tell me more. Yeah, so there's two goofs. Who, who are the candidates? 
Joe Bob and somebody else. It's troubling times. But I like that so far. It's and this we're not giving away our political uh, beliefs or anything on here. But there's been a larger early vote turnout for this election than I think hardly any other one. So that's really good. Is it? Yeah. I mean, don't we have to wait and see what happens before we decide it's good? So we're going to read, with that in mind, we're going to read from the Ambrose Bierce's The Devil's Dictionary. The word today is conservative. Noun. A statesman who is enamored of existing evils as distinguished from the liberal who wishes to replace them with others. I love that. Digs on both sides. Digs on both sides, yeah. I would like to see some new evils. The old ones are so boring. We've been there, done that. Let's get some new evil. Anyway, sorry for the whiny voice. I think... Okay, real quick before we wrap up, let's knock these people who didn't listen to our episode, Sewer Moist. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Look, if you're listening to this, you Mm -hmm. you obviously know where to find the list of episodes. Yes. And there's one on there called Sewer Moist. Yes. Which I, of course, titled, Without Any Direction from Levi, late one night after I finished the Uh. edit. But it's about Chud. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie that we covered was Chud, mm-hmm. a classic B movie. Cannibalistic. It takes place in the sewer. Humanoid underground dwellers. There it is. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's in the sewer and it's very moist. We the get, monsters are very moist. We get that the word is How many times can word. I say moist? Don't. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> word. So we're going to, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to, I'm going to be like just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparent as possible here. We're thinking about naming the episode Satan Juice, and I I have res- reservations, have reservations about, that about that because title? of the fact that we didn't get a lot of listens on our super moist episode, and I think my theory is strictly because of the title. But I just figured our potential audience would not be turned off by that. But you know, I'd never heard of the movie Chud until you told me, that and so a, that, that might be that, that might have something to do deeply with deeply upsetting. Deeply upsetting. Hey, if you want to just listen to the episode on Chud and not have to watch it, go ahead and do that too. <laughs> That's great. You're saying that wasn't one of your favorites? No. <laughs> this one, I, monsters in the sewers. I did not hate Prince of Darkness. I did not hate it. I didn't dislike it. I. It's not my favorite John Carpenter film. It's probably my top five. But I don't even. Um, I'm not sure why it's one of my favorites. I think it's just you know I was so young when I saw it. Yeah. Uh, because again. We would just hit the the old VHS rental store. Man, what happened? I remember that poster too. Yeah, I remember the poster for Mouth of Madness as well. Like Sam Neill, good stuff. We're gonna cover that one soon. It, that is a good one. But Jonathan, you have any more remarks or comments on the film? Well, I think it's you know you mentioned it's part of Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, mm-hmm. and it is very apocalyptic. And I guess mm-hmm. I recommended because whether you think it's justified or not, this year definitely has an apocalyptic feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think regardless of what your politics are. I mean, maybe if you're, you know, a billionaire and you live in the mountains and you never watch the news and what happens to the peasants down below doesn't matter. We can dream. You're, uh, you know, maybe you're mentally healthy this year, but I think most of us are just sort of clinging to the, the curtains and mm-hmm. hoping it's over soon and that, you know, something remains. It's been rough. I didn't honestly, I remember like thinking this isn't going to have a huge effect on my mental health but it ended up yeah it has and so one of the worst things about having kids is that you're not allowed to surrender to nihilism yeah and there's a certain pleasure in surrendering to nihilism and just giggling at the whole thing right 
there well yeah it's 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 the whole like don't take anything too seriously like nothing matters so don't which is typically you know which and every time i hear somebody say that it drives me crazy because of course it's almost always said by people who have very little to lose yeah that's true yeah i guess like someone like me would say that (laughs) nah Uh, you say that in jest though (laughs) yeah i do but that's the thing though it's that you know you can't this might be slightly controversial claim but i don't think i don't think you can be a horror fan and be a nihilist Ooh. Why? Because horror stories, movies, whatever, are always at their core a morality play. Very, yeah. Damn, yeah. You cannot have a horror movie if it doesn't take place in some sort of moral universe. Yeah, you can't. And if you don't care. In a moral care, context. Yeah, and if nothing matters and you don't care. Then there's then, nothing to lose. Yeah. And what's there to be scared well, of? Well, then there's no stakes. Yeah. yeah. There's no, that you can't raise the stakes. There's no, yeah. There's no conflict. Yeah, being a nihilist kind of sucks if you're in a film. Because, <laughs> like... Well, there's always Terrence Malick. Well, yeah, that's true. <sighs> that movie Life. Oh, my God. I can't watch any of those. They just... Oh, my God. I right did like. Book. I did like The Thin Red Line, though. Mm. That's a good film. Mm. Mm. Oh, and is the... What's the one with the young Richard Gere in it? And it has Sam Neill in it, too. Um, um, I'm blanking. I don't know. Oh Maybe God. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Days of Heaven. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. The Thin yeah. Red Line, I saw it in the theater, and mm-hmm. I was cranky for days. Man, I waited until I was older to watch Thin Red Line. I'm glad I did. Because if I'd have seen it when it around the time it came out, I would have lost probably interest in it, too. And it it came out around the same time as Saving Private Ryan, which I love that Hollywood does that. But You know, what's odd is that... It's like I, when A Bug's Life and Ants came out at the same yeah. month. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I say that about movies that have ideas, uh, but... I really like, or I like most of uh, Lars von Trier's movies that I've seen. Oh, yeah. Have and his are p- pretty thick with whoa. ideas, but they're also so moody and weird. They're so and, dark, too. Have you and seen just, Antichrist? Yeah. And oh, up, my God. Willem Dafoe, right? And yeah. upsetting yeah. in... They're so viscerally upsetting mm-hmm. that all those weird cuts he does to, mm-hmm. like, B-roll that almost seems completely off topic. Yeah. I mean, there are times you watch it, and, you know, he's got that habit of cutting in B-roll. Yeah, that, I know. Yeah. And you wonder, like, what the hell does this have to do with anything? And then he's, you know, so heavy on dialogue. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know of anybody else who's so heavy on dialogue other Tarantino's than, like, Tarantino. Yeah. Pretty heavy, yeah. Completely different styles, of course, and to uh, different yeah. purposes. Yeah. Oh, man. my <laughs> Some of the older generation can't stand Tarantino because it's like, they see it as, like, nothing's actually happening. Like, oh, yeah, I don't see they're, they're just that. conversations, you know. I just think to not enjoy a Tarantino movie, you have to have such a tin ear. Like, no... You, you know, you what mm-hmm. you're saying is that you can't hear the music. Yeah, you can't enjoy uh, the language he's using yeah. to write the dialogue. Like the rhythm yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, man, the rhythm of his dialogue is so good. And we're getting way off topic. Well, but. a little bit. But, you know, Lars von Trier, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have that music in his dialogue. Well, mm-hmm. not exactly the same music. It's much sort of quieter. Yeah. But, uh, but he does lean on it. Yeah. But he isn't afraid to, like, throw out a two-page, you know, one guy talking. Monologue, yeah. 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 Which I admire. I do too. Unless Terrence Malick does it, and then I. Well, there are no. There's no talking at all. Yeah, people like. (laughs) What's that guy's name? The guy, the the lead in uh, Thin Red Line. Oh, he did. He was Jesus. Yeah, he was Jesus. Passion of the Christ. Jarmu, no, that's the director. Jim, I don't. I don't remember his name either. But God, if I have to watch him staring like. Oh, the blank stare. Yeah, 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 again. yeah. 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 So I think we're gonna wrap up Prince of Darkness here. 
Again, it's a terrific, it's a fun watch. Look, we're releasing this episode on Halloween. Yeah. And, you know. It is a good Halloween watch. It's, it's great got Halloween primordial movie. green ooze and crosses and holy water. And, and, you know, a priest who saves the day. Yeah. Although completely misunderstands what if, it all means. If you want to watch a Carpenter film that's not Halloween on Halloween, watch this one.